0: some fantastic hymns uh, this morning a real blessing uh, to be able to sing together and to continue uh, looking at God's word I just I was just you know worshiping um, with you sitting and listening and I just so appreciate um, both all three of those men uh, Chris and Dean and Andrew and they just point us to God's Word and remind us of the truth and, and exalt our hearts. And, and it's just such a such a blessing to be hearing God's Word um, rightly explained. And so I hope uh, you uh, were blessed by that as well. And uh, Andrew, just always drawing our attention to what we're singing and reminding us of that. And so, uh, so thankful. And so we, we have the privilege to continue... Uh, doing that, and I have the privilege to be able to uh, help us learn and understand the gospel of John um, a little bit more thoroughly. And so with that, I would like to invite you to turn back to the gospel of John. Uh, We're reading through the gospel um, as a church publicly, but we're also now beginning to teach through this gospel. And so turn to the first chapter of John, uh, and we will read verses 1 to 18 and then ask the lord to bless our study john chapter 1 verses 1 to 18 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this word that we have read. We thank you for the testimony that John has given us regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, as we seek to look at this prologue and the introduction of this gospel, We pray, O God, that you would bless us in a rich way by helping us to set our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ, to think upon him deeply and to ponder in amazement that the second person of the Trinity, that the word would be made flesh and dwell among us. We thank you for that and ask for your blessing on your word, in Christ's name, amen. So we're really turning our attention here um, to the verses that we just read this morning, Uh, but we're specifically, uh, initially I wanted to go through all 18 verses, but uh, I just found so much there in verses one to five that, um, that, was just such a, a blessing to reflect on, and so we're, we're going to just look at verses one to five, and, and also, as I'll mention a little bit later, for good reason, because I think that these verses, these first five verses specifically, is really given to us by John as a way to um, interpret all of what he is going to say in the Gospel of John. Uh, It's really supposed to be a unit, though, verses 1 to 18, uh, because it's the prologue to John's gospel. And so um, what what is fascinating about how John opens his gospel is he's going to open it, and you'll notice, and we'll talk about this in a moment, where he says, in the beginning was the word, and as we'll see, that's gonna take us back to Genesis, but when you look at the other Gospels, all of the other Gospels begin with reflecting on the ministry of Jesus, but they, they begin with reflecting on his, you might say, his earthly lineage, or his birth, or, um, or with John the Baptist, and, and they begin by laying out the Gospel by tracing that history of Jesus from the beginning of his earthly ministry whether it's birth or John the Baptist. But John, in one sense, he writes this gospel much later than the other gospels. So John, as we said last week, was older when he wrote this gospel, and he had probably read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He had had probably at some point read those gospels, and I think his disciples, uh, or those that he was discipling as as John is ministering in different churches and and pastoring, I, I would just imagine that it may be that some came up to this this saint who'd been walking with the Lord faithfully for many years, and and they may have even encouraged him and said, John, you know, we know that you're the disciple that that Jesus loved, that that you were uniquely in a way close with Jesus. And why don't you write? Why don't you tell us about Jesus? Why don't you give us some understanding? about who Jesus was. That's totally an assumption, but I could see that happening. I could see the church talking, and, and then I could see the Spirit leading John to write down. And so as John sits down and to write from his memory and his experience as a Christian to communicate to us by the Spirit what and who Jesus is and what he did, it's interesting that John doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus or with John the Baptist, but he actually says, let me tell you something about Jesus. We're going to go way back. We're going to go back and look at Jesus from eternity past because we're going to see that Jesus is, is and the other gospel writers understood that Jesus is God incarnate as well. They communicated it in a different way. But John is going to go back and he's going to say, they began there, but I want to begin here. And that's where we're going to begin in verses 1 to 5. Um, and, and really, um, we could spend many, many, many weeks on verses 1 to 18. Like we we could, and some people have spent many weeks. But like I said, verses 1 to 18 is given to us by John as a prologue to his gospel. And so if we spent all of these weeks expositing verses 1 to 18... Uh, we would basically be explaining the entirety of the gospel of John, right? Because what John does in verses 1 to 18 is he tells us all of these main themes and truths in these verses that later on he is actually going to unpack for us. And so we don't want to just stay here. We want to let John exposit these verses for us as we read them. And so we're only going to spend this week in verses 1 to 5 and I'm gonna try and put six to 18 together next week. But you can see this as you draw some parallels with what we read here in the prologue. So for instance, and, and this comes from D.A. Carson's commentary on the Gospel of John, which is really good, and this helped me. He says, you'll see in, verse, in chapter one, verses one to two, which we'll look at this morning, the preexistence of the Logos, or the sun, and then that'll be addressed in chapter 17, verse 5. You also see it stated here in verse 4 of chapter 1, in him was life. And then you will see that talked about in chapter 5. Life is light, verse 4, uh, talked about in verse 8. In chapter 8, light rejected by darkness, verse 5, talked about in chapter 3. Uh, not quenched by it, however, the light not quenched by it, verse 5, talked about in chapter 12, uh, and so on, light coming into the world, Christ not received by his own, being born to God and not of flesh, uh, seeing his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, truth in Jesus Christ, no one has seen God except the one who comes from God's side, all of those things are are talked about in the prologue and also later in the gospel. So there's a lot of things we could talk about in the prologue. Um, But we're just going to look at verses 1 to 5 this morning. So this prologue really breaks down into three sections, okay, in my mind. Um, And we're going through the first section, which I've entitled verses 1 to 5, the word before the world, the word before the world, Uh, 6 to 13 is the world responds to the word, and then 14 to 18, the word revealed to the world, okay, so the word before the world is what we're looking at this morning. And really, this prologue is going to highlight for us how the word, the Son of God, who was with God in the beginning, indeed before the beginning, because he is God, how he was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history. God incarnate dwelt among us so that the glory and grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly displayed. And certain people and not others, by believing in the Son of God, become children of God. That's what the prologue is about. So we begin then in verses 1 to 5. John's telling us about Jesus, the word before the world. He begins um, to explain three things about the word here in these first five verses. And in, these, in this first verse, actually. And the first thing he begins to tell us about the word, which we've already mentioned, is that the word is preexistent, you could say, or eternal, In the beginning was the word, John says. And so, if you know your Bibles, uh, John is likely referring there to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. This is likely what's in John's mind. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read that the Bible begins with the phrase, you know it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. He's not saying God was created in the beginning. He's not, the, the, Genesis 1.1 says the beginning of what? Not God's beginning, but the beginning of the entire universe. In the beginning, the beginning of the entire universe, God is the one who was there and created. All things have their beginning with God who created all of it. So that means that, in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, God was there, perfect in himself, without need, holy, pure, righteous, all by himself, but yet full of all things, before anything else ever existed. God was completely, perfectly content in Himself. God was the originator of all things, and Genesis says God spoke all things into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One author, on remarking on John 1.1, 1, 1 said, that this first verse could be literally rendered back to John 1.1 when the beginning began the word was already there now I don't know how to wrap my mind around that you don't know how to wrap your mind around that but that is what the scripture says about God that God is we are what you might call, and what philosophers have called, finite. By finite, it means we have a, we have a definite starting point in life. Each and every one of us, there, there is a point in time where we came into being when we weren't. We were conceived in the wombs of our mothers and And that is when scripture says life begins. And when that life began, we began to be. And then we are growing in the wombs of our mothers and then we are born into this world and and we can look at the, the way in which our lives move through the course of time. And some of you are younger now and some of you are older and we all can know and we don't necessarily know the day of our conception but we know internally that we had a time in which we were not and then we became, which is what finite is, that's who we are. And to understand and for finite people like us to think about God and to realize specifically about the word here that John is talking about, that the word who who is, as we'll see, the Lord Jesus Christ, He had no beginning. In the beginning was the Word, meaning it was already there. The Word has always been from eternity past. And that, for finite creatures, to think about an infinite being, it's hard to wrap our minds around, but that's what John is telling us about Jesus. And, so he doesn't only refer to Genesis one one though. John is also alluding to the Old Testament, which he's going to do all through this gospel by his use of the word of the term the word. So in the beginning takes us back to Genesis one one. It talks about the eternality of God, but I think John also has in mind the. Use, as he says, was the word. What does he mean by the word? And so this brings out not only do we see the eternality of the word, but the second point that we see is that there's a personal element to the the word. And, And I think this is conveyed in his choice of using the word, this personality, this personal element of the word. And the reason I say that is when... Okay, if you look at the Greek word for word, that word is in Greek logos, okay? And it has a lot of different connotations in the first century um, with Greek philosophy. If you were to look and read Plato, and I remember reading Plato in my undergrad studies at Fresno State, uh, Plato's Republic. When, When he talked about the word or the logos, he was talking about some abstract idea which the physical world represents or is a copy of. This would be what he called his theory of, of forms. So ultimate reality exists in the theory of forms and not in the physical world. So this is one sense in which people in these times, when they heard the word, this is, or logos, this might be in their mind um, from Plato. The Stoics were those that basically took logos, which could also mean reason, and they thought of it as a, a reference to a rational principle or, like I said, reason. And for a Stoic, everything exists and is governed by reason or logic. Okay, So you have theory of forms and you have Stoics, where everything is just reason or logic and your job in life is to just come in line with reason and logic, a very stoic and a firm outlook on life. And then just in a general usage, logos in everyday language refers to inner thought or reason, outward expressions of speech or a message. And so I think as John is writing his gospel, he's talking about the word because what he wants to show by the word for those that are Greek or Hellenistic Jews, he, he wants to say something about the word that's going to change the way that they understand it as it relates to Jesus. That he, he, he's not presenting it to them so that they think about Jesus in their philosophical terms, but he's saying, let me pick a word for you, the word, and let me, for you Jews, I'm going to put this forth for you about Jesus so that you understand something about him, and also for you Greeks or you Hellenistic Jews, I'm going to take this word and the way that you use it and view it, and I'm going I'm to pack it in here with who Jesus is, okay? Okay? Um, because, and he's doing this because there's also an Old Testament background to the use of the word that I think is the most important point for John. So when you look at the word in the beginning was the word preexistent, um, you also see these truths about the word in the Old Testament, okay? So if you were just reading the Old Testament now, as John did, this is something the Old Testament tells us about the Word. In Genesis 1:3, we know that the Word is used in the Old Testament to refer to God's powerful connection to creation. So Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. When you read about the word in the Old Testament, you also see it is used in reference to God's revelation. So this is the word in reference to God's creation, the word in reference to God's revelation, Jeremiah 1.4. And these also come from D.A. Carson, by the way. Jeremiah 1.4 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Isaiah 9.8, The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. Ezekiel 33.7, So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning. And then you also see word used in reference to God's deliverance as well. Psalm 107, verse 20, He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So what is the point of all of that. John is looking at the Old Testament. He's looking at the Greeks. He's looking at philosophy. He picks this word, word. That's hard to say. That's why I'm having trouble the term word, not the word word. Picks the term word for the Greeks, but also for the Jews. And he's saying, when you look at the Old Testament and you see that phrase used, the word, you see that it has a reference to God's creation, God's revelation, God's deliverance. And one of the things you'll notice about all of these references that I read, and many more, is that one of the unique characteristics of that term in the Old Testament is the personified nature which the word takes on. Okay? In other words, the word in the Old Testament of the Lord is equated With God Himself. His word creates. It creates. It does the action. Does that make sense? His word reveals truth. His word judges and warns. His word delivers and heals. And so you see the principle of personification of the word in the very next verse of John chapter 1. Because you'll notice in verse 2, he restates verse 1, and what does he say of the word? He was in the beginning. So John knows that when he's talking about the word, And he's talking about the history of the word in the Old Testament and all of those passages that personify the word. He then says to them and he gives it a masculine pronoun that says he was in the beginning with God. So the word is personified here. And In the fact that the use of the phrase, it's also personified in that the use of the phrase and the word was with God. With God is a relational reference, right? So that implies that when he's talking about the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, that there is a distinguishable persons with a personal relationship, Distinct persons, but together, the second person of the Trinity, together with the first person of the Trinity, the Son with the Father, the Word with the Father in a personal relationship. That's what the Word, that's why John says, in the beginning was the Word, preexistent, and the Word was with God, relational. There, there's a relationship there. And that leads us to the third thing he says about the Word. It's preexistent, it's personal, um, but the Word is also itself, then, John says, divine. This Word, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and John says the Word was God. The Word is one and the same as God. So some, such as Jehovah's Witnesses, and then I was reading a William Barclay commentary, they'll try to insert the article. We're going to go into a little nerdy grammar here, okay? It's important, though, because you might have a Jehovah's Witness or other false teacher come and try to tell you this about John 1, but what they'll try to do is they'll try to insert this article the article indefinite article a before god in this verse implying that what john is saying is that the word simply had divine qualities or maybe uh is a heavenly being but that he's not fully divine so they would say in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and then they'll say and the word was and you've probably heard this before a god and they'll insert the letter A in there, which totally changes what John is saying. It totally turns it and twists it around because that's not what John is saying. John is not saying the Word was a God or had divine qualities of a God or something of that nature, but John is actually saying, no, the Word is and was God. And so... The reason that they do that and their justification for it, which really isn't any justification, is that they they point out that the definite article the in, in the Greek does not occur before God. So usually what happens, uh, not usually even, but what happens as opposed to our language in Greek, the definite article is is very often put before nouns. So you would say the man, the house, uh, the chairs, the carpet, it, whatever it is, and you have the as the definite article that's usually in the language put before the nouns. That that happens in Greek. We don't do that, right? We just kind of, we don't always put the before every noun that we speak about. And so they'll say, well, there there is no, Definite article there before theos in the Greek, and that is true. And so they'll say, so we should insert an indefinite article there and put a before before God. And so um, we should translate it as the word was a God or had mere godlike qualities. And William Barclay kind of implies the same thing. However the reality is, is that, and this is true, you can look at any Greek, anyone that's reputable or recognized Greek scholar anywhere has recognized that such a translation is completely invalid. And the reason for that is because in your first year of Greek grammar that you would go through, it is totally, it's common knowledge that this phrase as John constructs it in Greek is really following a regular rule of Greek grammar and it basically is the absence of the definite article the in that verse really simply indicates that the noun, in this case, God, is the predicate rather than the subject of the sentence, right? If you know in your English language, you, in, if you have a clause, for it to be a complete clause, you have to have a predicate and you have to have a subject, right? Um, the, the dropping of that um, definite article is simply saying that it is the predicate, it is the completion of John's complete thought, not the subject. The subject that we have been reading about in verse 1 is what? The word. The Word has been the definite subject the entire time. And so when he comes to say the Word was with God, and then he says, and the Word was God, the Word is the subject. And by dropping off, not, by not saying the Word was the God, right? dropping off that the, he's just saying God is the predicate here. That that's what he's, what he's doing. And the rule in your Greek grammars is Caldwell's rule. And it says this. We'll get through the grammar here. It says this. A predicate nominative which precedes the verb, that means comes before, cannot be translated as an indefinite or qualitative noun solely because of the absence of the article, okay? He's saying you you can't do that. If the context suggests that the predicate is definite, it should be translated as a definite noun in spite of the absence of the article. And that's what we have here. Okay, and that's what we have here. Um in Greek the, the word the, the phrase is translated like this Theos hein ho logos. Theos is God, hain is was, ho is the logos is word. God was the word is what is how it's said in Greek. God is the predicate. The logos is the uh, subject. And so the dropping of that definite article tells us that God is the predicate. That's, and you see this throughout the chapter, throughout the New Testament too. It's actually, I wrote these down. Look at John 8:39. These are the same constructions. It's constructed the very same way in these... Um, in these verses, and we don't translate it um, with an A, for example. So John 8, 39 says, They answered him, and then you see what he says, Abraham is our father. So he, that's the same construction. He's not saying the, the Abraham is our father. He just says Abraham is our father, but in the Greek there, there is no the for Abraham. It's just Abraham is our father. Um, we know what Abraham we're talking about. Uh, look at John 17, 17. John seventeen seventeen is constructed in the same way. It says... Um, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it it doesn't say, um, it drops out that definite article, word is truth. Not the word or some definite article before, but it drops it out and it just says word is the, not the truth, but just is truth. So that's a lot. I probably went into that way too much. You can also look at Romans 14, 17, and Galatians 4, 25, Revelation 1.20. It's the same um, construction there. So all that to say is John by writing it this way, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the Word was God, is to say and to emphasize God, and to say, I'm gonna tell you about Jesus, and Jesus is God, exclamation point. The word is God, exclamation point. And to back that up even more, he goes on to say, lest you don't get it, in verse three, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So just in case it's not clear, John says, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. He is the pre-existent God, and he is the one who created everything. This is who he wants to tell tell you about. When we talk about Jesus, John says, we are not talking about a man alone. We are not talking about a Jesus of history past like in the way we would talk about Muhammad or Buddha or Joseph Smith, or the Pope of a bygone age. We're not talking about Gandhi and any other kind of past historical figure that you can think of that is buried in their tomb right now. When we talk about Jesus, John is saying, what I'm going to tell you about Jesus is you have to understand that we are talking about God incarnate. And we are talking about the eternal God who made and spoke everything into existence. And that has consequences for how you respond to Jesus, doesn't it? Think about it this way. And this is how I sometimes will evangelize and share the gospel with, with people because they'll always say, you are being judgmental, or who do you think you are, or why do you, you know, think you have the truth, et cetera, as they reject the gospel. And maybe John had heard that. And I always kind of try to share with them that this is not, I am not saying what I am saying because of my wisdom or understanding. This is not my message to you. This gospel is not something when you share it with others, it's not something that you fabricated to give to people. But this is a message that God himself is giving. This is a truth that God himself conveys to the world. And this changes The whole way that you should hear what is being said to you. If God has spoken, and if God has given a message to his creatures whom he created, should it not behoove you, the creature, to listen and to respond? Does that make sense? This is God speaking. It's one thing if I say something, but if God says it, you need to pay attention and you need to believe. And that's what John is saying. I'm going to start my gospel about Jesus. I'm going to take you back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the pre existent Word, in relationship with God the Father. And the pre-existent word was God himself. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. All things, that means, that were made in the category of made, were made through Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. So if you have a category of made, a circle, think about, all things made are in this circle. Through Jesus, without Jesus, nothing that was made in this category of made ever came into being. Nothing was made without Jesus. The earth is not an uncountable number of years old. The earth is not infinite. The earth is finite. The world is finite. The universe is finite. Jesus made it all. And this is what the New Testament says over and over again. In Colossians 1, 16 to 17. Here's how Paul puts it. Verses 1 to 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Revelation 3.14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, that means originator or ruler of all creation. So the New Testament is clear that Jesus created everything. And so John goes on to say that in him was life. In Jesus is the self-existing life of God, which imparted to all creation life. And he says and the life was the light of men. That's to say that Jesus reflected in Jesus is reflected in the universe his being God as he created everything, this this revelation of God is manifested in creation. The life was the light of men. His revelation is everywhere. For man to see and behold, in uh, Romans one twenty, says, "For his invisible attributes, God's, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." And so Revelation Psalm nineteen says screams God's glory, and Jesus, being God incarnate, reflects his light to men throughout all of creation. Okay? That's what I think verse 5, in one sense, is talking about, Um, or verses 4 is talking about. In him was life, and the life was the light of men And then verse 5 says, just like you look at the creation account in Genesis, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Genesis 2 to 3 says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So in one sense, John is saying, thinking about creation and Jesus just like in Genesis, the light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can't overwhelm it, so with Jesus in the New Testament, his light shines in, continues to shine in the darkness of this world, and it cannot be overcome in the new creation. Okay? So if we just left it there, then in this sense, We're not going to see a reference to the Incarnation until verse 14. But there's another more dominant sense here in which life and light are used throughout John's gospel. And I think John intends something more by verses 4 to 5. And if you look at John's gospel, life and light are not simply tied to creation, it's actually more regularly tied to salvation. So when, Jesus, when John says, in him was life and the life was the light of men, he's actually saying also, not only in creation perspective, but he's saying in Jesus is spiritual life. And in Jesus, the light of God's revelation to come to the knowledge of the truth shines in the dark world. Do you see that there's two components there? And you see this where John refers to life 36 times in his gospel. 36 times, and it's used mostly of spiritual and eternal life. John 3, 14 to 16 says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And light being used of biblical truth in John's gospel, that people may believe And turn from darkness to error, John says in John 3.19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In John 8.12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So here's the point that John is making in one to five. The word is eternal, the word was with God, and the word is God. All things were made through the word and in the word who is the life in the sense of creation, in him is also life in the sense of salvation and redemption. And he who is the light of the world, who shines his creation, magnifies his glory, the light of men, he is also the one who has now come to shine forth the light of God's truth of salvation through him and him alone. This is what John is saying about his gospel. And so that's why he's beginning it this way. Because only through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ can one be brought the light of salvation while in this dark world and be saved. We'll close with I think these words of John Owen are pretty powerful. He talks about the darkness, the light shines in the darkness. He talks about the darkness of the world and the corruption of the world and and the fact that Christ coming as the light of the world, the darkness has not overcome it. And John Owen says, Since men fell from God by sin, it is no small part of their misery and punishment that they are covered with thick darkness and ignorance of the nature of God. They know him not, they have not seen him at any time. They had no certain guide, rule, nor light, which being attended to might lead them infallibly into the knowledge of the divine nature. All they had of this kind was their own reasonings or imaginations by which they commenced the great disputes of the world but in them they waxed vain and their foolish heart was darkened. They did at best but endeavor to feel after God as men do in the dark after what they cannot clearly discern. And he says, It is at this day not want of wit But hatred of the mysteries of our religion, which makes so many prone to forego all supernatural revelation and to betake themselves to a religion declared, as they suppose, by reason and the light of nature, like bats and owls who, being not able to bear the light of the sun, betake themselves to the twilight, to the dawnings of light and darkness." Like bats and owls, in other words, those in darkness flee the light. But if you look at Isaiah 62, 60 verse 2, we have this promise from the Lord in Isaiah 62 to those who are in darkness. Arise, shine, for your light has come And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. I think that's what John is saying. You want to know Jesus? Begin from eternity past and listen and believe that he is the Son of God, the Word of God incarnate, who made all things, and in him alone, as Jesus says, is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, our Lord says, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... uh, We just thank you for the truth that John has given to us and for the testimony of the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. We know, Lord Jesus, that you created the heavens and the earth. You spoke them into existence. You were an agent in creation with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And this world is just as much a result of your power and majesty as it is for the other persons of the Trinity. And we know, O God, that you are a triune God and yet you are one God. And we thank you that you have laid before us this truth as a foundational starting point for our understanding of the gospel. That what and who we are reading about in John's gospel is not some man, but he is God-man. Fully God and fully man, united perfectly in one person. So help us, O God, now to embrace that and to cherish that truth and really to understand your gospel in light of it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to take our place on the cross and to die for our sin. Thank you for saving us and redeeming us, for loving us when we were even unlovable and enemies of you. Thank you for humbling yourself, Lord Jesus, even to the point of death on a cross. That you would not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you willingly laid it aside and took on flesh, and did so to the point of death on a cross that we deserved. And thank you, O God, for raising our Lord from the dead so that we might know that we have life in him as well. All of these truths are laid out in this wonderful gospel, and we thank you for pointing us to Christ this morning by your word. We ask for your blessing on the remainder of our service